Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. Duh. First rule of Fight Club. Fight? Are you serious? You've never seen Fight Club? Oh my god. Okay, write it down. Double feature. After we watch the Candles movie, we are watching Fight Club. Hey everyone, and welcome to Surviving Chick Flicks. I'm Sleepy. <laughs> and I'm Sammy. Alright, and this week I am facing Sammy's Revenge for Sleepaway Camp as we take on the 2018 film To All the Boys I've Loved Before. We're going to play the trailer real quick, and then uh, you get to hear a friendship fall apart. <laughs> Junior year. I can hardly believe it. Thanks, Dad. We need to talk about your sexual health. No, no, please, no. I want you to be safe. Dad, why are you giving me these? Don't forget to have fun. Yes, well, I have a lot of rubbers for that, specifically. I think you should branch out, make some new friends. Nope. You never know what could happen. That's what I'm afraid of. My letters are my most secret possessions. I write them when I have a crush so intense, I don't know what else to do. There are five total. Peter, the most popular guy in school. Kenny from camp. Lucas from homecoming. John Ambrose from Model UN. And Josh, but he's my sister's boyfriend. What are you doing? Nothing. Nobody else knows about them. Hey, can I talk to you? I, I really appreciate it, but it's never gonna happen. I'm sorry, what? I think it's really cool that you think I have golden specks in my eyes. Oh my god. It's Josh. Oh my god. Oh, okay. The letters are out. Women. Tell me about it. Here's the thing. I had to make it look like I liked you so somebody else wouldn't think I liked them. What if we let people think that we were actually together? Let's do this. I've never seen you so happy. Did you mean what you wrote in the letter? I'm lying to every single person in my life. Just don't hide yourself, okay, honey? You can't just sit up in your room writing love letters. You gotta tell people how you feel when you feel it. You never saw me. Ow, 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 ow. I like me better when I'm with you. All right, to all the boys I've loved before, starring Lana Condor, Noah Centineo, Janelle Parrish, Anna Cathcart, Madeline Arthur, Israel Broussard, and John Corbett. Based on the novel by Jenny Han, written by Sofia Alvarez, and directed by Susan Johnson. If this is your first episode to listen to, 
what a chick flick is, is we've changed up the definition, and it's any film that is marketed to women in a pandering way, strong female lead, or written or directed by a woman. And I think we got the hat trick, people. <laughs> I think we got all three. Yeah, it fits all three. Oh, God. So... You know, right off the bat, before we start arguing, I definitely feel like categorizing this movie as my revenge for Sleepaway Camp is completely unfair. This is a revenge for a lot of things? <laughs> no, I feel like this is me trying to think of the right word. Trying to think of the right word. Um, I guess educating you on the amazing culture that is Netflix romantic comedies. Sure. Um... <laughs> And, and I've I've been saying this has been your revenge for Sleepaway Camp, and it's been mostly in jest because you know you did have fun watching Sleepaway Camp. And for those of you playing the drinking game at home, take a shot every time we bring up Sleepaway Camp. But you know I I, I get it because you know when we started uh, showing you movies, it was educating you on horror, and this is for lack of a friendlier term forcing upon me uh something from your world i i feel like you pushed on me the friday the 13th part four of <laughs> netflix rom-coms <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing um you know i i hate to say this but if you honestly think that's the case you would be sorely mistaken and and i pity you because this is pr- you know, I'm sure everybody has a different opinion about um, this particular genre of Netflix movies because Netflix originals, they have all different types of genres. And for the most part, their original content is pretty good. Um, but they've, they've kind of found this niche in sort of teenage romantic comedies. And I think this is the best of what they have out there. Personally, like, I, I mean, I'm a fan of Kissing Booth and I think it's a little bit more fun of a movie than this one but everything else that they have out there that i've seen i don't think is quite as interesting or as good you know weirdly enough you actually supported my friday the 13th point part four analogy without even knowing it because four is quite a beloved entry in that franchise but it is a very tropey film and this film is very tropey not not saying that as a negative just saying that it knows there's a formula and it follows said formula like to a T. And you'll find that all of these uh, Netflix romantic comedies, or really their teen rom-coms, do the same thing. I mean, they Netflix knows the formula. It's it's very similar to Hallmark. In well, what I will give it is, it's qualitatively, I think the movies are a little bit better than Hallmark. Um, as big of a fan of Hallmark as I am, but in Hallmark knows what works for it. I mean, if anybody can give it credit, it's that Hallmark has a formula. They know what works for them, and they do the same thing. And Netflix has found the same thing. The formula works. Yeah. People like it, so they kind of stick to it. And and honestly, I think this movie is meta without even knowing it's meta. Like, it... it yeah. It, maybe it's not the right word, but it pokes fun at what it is. Yeah, I, I would say maybe self-aware, maybe a little bit. You know, it, and you can definitely see what influences this movie. Yeah, it, if this was like a sci-fi or horror film, this would probably be the uh, weird but 
watchable Italian 80s ripoff, which <laughs> that means probably nothing to you, but like this is like the contamination to um, what's a big teen rom com that went to the theatrical? Mm, technically, Mean Girls. Okay, yeah, this is maybe the contamination to Mean Girls Alien. So, gotcha. Yeah. So, Sammy. All right. Well, are we ready to get into it? So, the movie starts with uh, Laura Jean, played by Lana Condor, daydreaming about her sister Margot's uh, boyfriend, played by Josh, or Josh, played by Israel Broussard, Um, which kind of harkens back to uh, one of the first inspirations, I feel like, for this movie being Twilight. Because, I don't know, just right off the bat, that very first scene, because the first time I ever saw this movie... I struggled to get into it. So I kind of thought it had a very slow start. It had a very, um, it just took a, it took a while to get up to, to speed. And right off the bat, it kind of had this Twilight knockoff vibe that was, um, I don't know, it just didn't have me hooked. Weird, weirdly enough, in the opening scene when she's in the field and running her hands through the, uh, you know, weeds or whatever. I, I got a gladiator vibe because that's how gladiator began. <laughs> I think that says a lot about our um, film experience. Yeah. <laughs> you went to gladiator. You went to gladiator, and I went straight to Twilight. I went with the Oscar winner. <laughs> you went with Twilight. <laughs> so uh, Lana Condor um, has the unfortunate, uh, the misfortune to be. Uh, Jubilee in the uh, film X-Men Apocalypse, which was the last Brian Singer-directed X-Men film, and where I checked out of that franchise. Nothing to do with her, everything to do with that franchise and Brian Singer. Um, not the worst X-Men movie, because X-Men Origins and Dark Phoenix still exist. So. <laughs> but I, you know, looking her up, I was like, because when I first watched this movie, I was like, I don't know you. I don't know you. Then the dad popped up. I know you. And then I didn't know anyone else for the rest of the movie. Uh, so looking at them, it was, like, it was nice to see, like, oh, I have seen like her in X-Men and uh, Israel Broussard, who played Josh. He was in the Happy Death Day movies, which we're going to have to do because I, I love those movies, even the second one. Yeah, I didn't recognize. You know, it's funny because I've seen the X Men movies and I did not recognize her. Um, I didn't recognize anybody until um, her sister Margot, played by Janelle Parrish. Um, I recognized from Pretty Little Liars, but it even took me a while. I think I had to look her up, and then obviously, um, Laura Jean and Margot's dad. Yeah, uh, played by John uh, Corbett from uh, yes. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Northern Exposure. Like, I feel like he was. Uh, he was the big get in this movie. I don't know why, but I feel, but like I said, I don't know these people. You know, like I've seen, I've seen Happy Death Day, but you know, I wouldn't recognize that guy if you walked down the street. Didn't know Lana Condor. I definitely didn't watch Pretty Little Liars, but and nothing against the show. I just, I only have so many hours in the day to to, you know. <laughs> Spend watching stuff, and usually I'm watching reruns of Todd's and Todd in the Shadows on YouTube. There's a plug. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, they have somebody in the sequel, too, that's, that's kind of a big get, which, you know, we'll get to when we do the sequel, because we are doing the sequel. Um, I'll, I'll be sick that week. Good, you'll have plenty of time to watch the movie then. I, I'm not going to lie, though. One of my coworkers, whenever I said we were doing this this film, said, I want to be on the show. I'm like, cool, you can take over for the sequel, because he's seen both. He's seen he's seen these two movies and Finding Nemo. Those are the only three movies I can confirm that he's seen. Nice. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, favorite things, too, and I may have been one of the only people that noticed this, is uh, we went to True Vine, which for listeners who don't know, is a local, it's a local brewery, and they had a beer entitled to all the beers I've loved before. Oh, God. How did you not get a picture of that and, like, we make up the episode <laughs> banner? <laughs> Um, cause it was before, you know, honestly, I think it was before we had even decided to do this movie. I can't remember when they had it. They don't have it anymore. Uh, okay. Well, you know, and speaking of when we decided this movie, we, we skipped over. When did you first see this? Yes. Sorry about that. So, um, <laughs> yes, I first saw this like shortly after it came out. So uh, yeah, I don't think it had been cause there was a run of those movies, Kissing Booth. Um, to all the boys I've loved before that came out really close together. And I think I saw it, it might have even been the night it got released on Netflix. And what about you, John? When's the first time you saw it? Like three days ago, under duress, we were celebrating your birthday, which happy birthday on the show officially. (laughs) Thank Um, you. And we let you pick the movie and you ignored all of our suggestions. But I did. Come through at the end and say, look, we're doing this for the show. We might as well just watch it. Exactly. Because I believe your words were, if we don't watch this tonight, I have to watch it by myself tomorrow morning. Pretty much. Because <laughs> I gave other options. I, I think it was good to watch it in a group setting, kind of reminiscent of the Sleepaway Camp episode. That way you got to see our reactions. Which, you know, honestly, your reactions were nothing compared to to our friend Sandy's who were um, all I all I can say is I, I would like to play poker with both of you. Well, you'll see how good my poker face is by the time we get to this by the time we actually get to the end of the episode. So after uh, after we kind of wake up from Laura Jean's uh, daydream and you find out she's reading a book, um, we discover that Laura Jean has a crush on Josh, her uh, sister Margot's boyfriend, and things kind of get further complicated when Margot breaks up with Josh. He bought a ticket to visit her in Scotland, where she's going away. So I kind of felt was like a convenient way to just get her out of the story. Yeah, but at the same same time, I, I did kind of appreciate how awkward that was. It's just like, hey, I'm going to come visit you. Oh, you are? Um... You, you already bought this? Yeah, <laughs> I think the only thing worse could, could have been had he pulled out an engagement ring. It's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel for him, but on the other hand, she's a young high school girl, and he's a apparently like a senior or junior in high school. He's got to be younger than her because he's still in high school. <laughs> he's and a veteran. He's got held going back. to a different country for college. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess that's possible, but the yeah. fact that he did not see that uh, inevitable breakup coming, I think, yeah. was a little naive on his part. 
Uh, and you know he didn't buy that ticket, which makes it even worse. So now he's got to go home and tell his parents, well, I hope you can get a refund on my ticket to Scotland. Good news. One of you is going to Scotland. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Say hi to Matt. Yeah, and we for kind, me. Of, kind of get a, a, a weird front row seat to the, to the breakup uh, as Laura Jean watches it from her window in yeah. in kind of a stalkery vibe, to be honest. But that's when we uh, discover that she um, hasn't told Josh how she feels about him, but she wrote it in a letter. And he was not the only one. She's written letters to four other crushes, um, including Peter, a guy she kissed in seventh grade, John Ambrose uh, from Model UN, Lucas from Homecoming, and a boy from camp. Yeah. Which is the first time in the movie that I, you know, you kind of start to realize what the movie's going to be about. Yeah. It seems like every time she develops a crush, she writes a letter. And I don't know, does the letter, like, get it out of her system? Or is that the point of them? It it just seems like she kind of explains she's too... She's too shy and timid to tell any of these uh, serious crushes, as she puts it, that she's had, how she actually feels. So, kind of like people tell you to do when you get angry, so that Mm -hmm. you don't um, say what you're thinking and say something you don't mean. She writes it in a letter so she can out on a page and then uh, never sends them but for some strange reason she puts them in an envelope and addresses them I get the letter writing and I but I don't get the addressing I mean they have address books you know you can keep up with addresses in another way not waste time and effort in an envelope she kind of well as to the handwriting thing she kind of strikes me as just sort of an old-fashioned romantic i mean she reads these romance novels um and i think i don't know the idea kind of probably appealed to her yeah and i I saw some of the books on her on her shelf and it was just like hmm this is these are the kind of books that will end up in a used bookstore passed around like harlequin romances (laughs) yeah like, I, I seriously think Har- Harlequin romance novels are the only thing keeping some used bookstores in business because there's, like, thousands of them. It's like, ooh, cool. Old lady porn. Great. I, I hate... I would argue with you, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a friend... Uh, uh, I think it was either his mom or grandma. I had a... Had a of those and he read one read one of them and decided to tell me exactly what was in the book it's like i i once heard so i was in some movie that uh this woman said that uh guys watch porn and girls read it because women are smart probably (laughs) and i stand by that no i i mean to your point i i think that yeah addressing the letters is kind of weird but if it doesn't happen then the whole movie doesn't happen. Right. Well, it's it's the same argument of why did you run up the stairs when the killer is coming after you with a knife? Oh yeah, we have to have a movie. Exactly. Or why in every single romantic comedy could the entire argument be solved by having one adult conversation? Well, if they had the adult conversation, then there wouldn't be a movie. Yeah. We have to drag this out with you know for twenty more minutes with a montage and. 
you know, a pop song we paid way too much money for that we'll get into later. <laughs> so a cameo I did not expect. <laughs> that being said, um, after after dropping Mar or after we find out about the letters, um, they drop Margot off at the airport to go to Scotland, and Laura Jean kind of starts her junior year of high school, plagued by the fact that she has to drive herself and her little sister Kitty to school, which, um, you know, I mean, can we just talk about the stereotype this movie perpetuates? And, and I feel like they do it on purpose because it's sort of poking fun at itself, I guess, but... Go ahead. I mean... <sighs> I feel like if the books weren't written by someone of Asian descent, then it would be way more offensive than what it is. But it could also just be, you know, also there's another stereotype we're ignoring of uh, men think women are bad drivers in general. Yeah, I I kind of agree that it's perpetuating both stereotypes. I just think... uh, I think in general, which I mean, like you said, I think it's done on purpose. You po- know? Possibly, you know, well, well, if we ever have Jenny Han on the show, we can ask her what, what's up with that. <laughs> but can we also talk about the best so, character in the movie? But this does give Kitty the opportunity, one of many, to be the best characters in the movie when she runs the bike helmet just to get in the car with Lord. I, I think that was the moment where I screamed best, best character in the movie. <laughs> Because at 11, she was stealing the show in this movie with, like, you know, TV actors and, you know, actresses with movies and television under their best, under their belt. And this isn't her first role either, but if I saw her name on something upcoming, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind because I thought she had very good comedic timing for a young girl. I'm not, not going to go back and watch, you know, Descendants or whatever else she's been in. Yeah, I do. I think she. Had, I think honestly, she may have had the best comedic timing. Um, well, she's Canadian, so <laughs> that, that explains it. Well, we get to, we at least we get introduced to the uh, best character in the movie right before we get introduced to the worst. Um, at at Laura Jean score, you call her a frenemy. Um, not really, though. And her former friend, uh, Jen, played by Mia Brannick, who's dating Peter, uh, one of the boys Laura Jean wrote a letter to. And their entire fight is just simply based on a seventh grade misunderstanding during a game of where Laura Jean and Peter kiss, even though uh, Laura Jean knew that Jen liked Peter. This character is so one dimensional. I didn't even think she was that well written. Like, there's no substance to her other than just girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, pissed all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, she has no... I mean, when we get to the sequel, she has some some character arc, but she doesn't have much of a character arc. It's one of those... You see it a lot in Hallmark movies. It's like a filler character that they put in, because if you'll notice a lot of times in Hallmark movies, they don't write their bad characters very well. Or they make their, they just have very low stakes. Their bad characters are not actually, uh, the fight or the argument is not based in anything that serious. And and that's definitely what I felt like was going on here. 
But they have kind of a snide conversation where Jen makes fun of Laura Jean's boots. And Laura Jean is defended by um, another one of the characters I kind of like in the movie, her best friend, Chris, who so happens to be Jen's cousin. And, um, you know, I mean, I like Chris. I feel like, once again, she's kind of a, a tropey character. She's sort of the snide best friend who's supposed to be funnier than she actually ended up being in this movie. Yeah, she's kind of hippie-ish and possibly on drugs. She has this, like, weird life. Like, possibly? At one point, well, I mean, they talk about her going to an EDM concert randomly, and it seems like all of her stuff is just that random. I mean, the actress is fine with it, but it's it's just like barely anything there to be interesting. Yeah, she's she's kind of another one of those filler characters that's just there to help advance Laura Jean's story. Um, yeah, but doesn't yeah, but doesn't have a lot of dimension to herself. She's yeah. just and a lot of times I've no a lot of times these I hate to call them B movies, but they really are. But these B romantic comedies, that's what they have. They have very one-dimensional secondary characters, which makes characters like Kitty um, stand out more because when the character is better and does more than just advance the lead character's story, uh, I think it enhances the movie. Yeah. You want a boring history lesson real quick? Sure. You want to know where uh, the term B movie came from? Uh, Sure. It just meant the second film in a double feature. So, <laughs> has nothing to do with the quality. Uh, I just, guess oh. worse. Oh. <laughs> no, because, you know, some double features are, you know, two classics. It just meant the, the second one of the evening. Usually it did end up being more of a, a genre pick, something more geared towards adults just because... You know, the kids got the A picture, and then the parent, parents got the B picture. You know, maybe by that point, the kids were asleep. Huh. Yep. That's so interesting. I wonder how it got, like, associated with being sort of a lesser movie. Um, I, I probably just an evolution of the language because, you know, a lot, like I said, a lot of those movies tended to be genre stuff, like, you know, sci-fi. And it would be stuff that were playing in drive-ins that couldn't necessarily afford like, maybe a drive-in couldn't get Midnight Cowboy or, you know, Godfather, but yeah, it could yeah. get, it could get, like, you know, uh, Dillinger or something, you know, something in the same realm, but just maybe not as much money. Something more that the theater, the drive, especially drive-ins could afford. So I kind of feel like what ends up separating sort of the better quality movies from the lesser quality movies is their secondary characters, especially in these types of movies. And specifically with Chris in this movie, Laura Jean's best friend, it's her absence does more to advance the story than her actually being there. Um, I think Laura Jean starts to notice, for example, when she has no one to sit with at lunch, just how kind of an outcast, how alone she is, which leads her to have this awkward lunch with Josh. And then... Um, after almost running over Peter with her car in the parking lot, um, 
which leads to uh, one of Kitty's best moments in the movie. She's just hanging out at home with her little sister on a Saturday night, um, who takes no shame in pointing out to her that as an 11-year-old, she had plans and she had to cancel them to hang out with her 16-year-old sister who didn't have any plans. Yeah. (laughs) While they watch the Golden Girls. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Um. And then, and this is the first time, which, which I don't know where it was, like maybe already 20 minutes into the movie, um, which is what what made it difficult. Like this movie grew on me on the second watch. Like I, I learned to love this movie after watching it the first time because it has such a slow start. Um, this scene is the first time that the story really advances where Kitty uh, sneaks off after Lorjean falls asleep and steals her letter to um to mail them off which we don't exactly find out what happens until the next day when Laura Jean is confronted by Peter uh after he mentions that he and Jen had just broken up and uh shows her the letter after which she faints and then sees Josh then when she sees Josh uh approaching her she grabs Peter and kisses him because that's going to solve all her problems yeah also, how did word of, of that not get around school? Because uh, I think EZA set the standard for gossip flowing around the school. When you know this unpopular girl is kissing the popular girl on the track in front of other people, that shit's going to get around. <laughs> Honestly, one of the and I kind of get this could get to this, and one of the things I I like and I don't like about this movie is the unrealistic nature of the fact that nobody found out about what Laura Jean did. Like nobody finds out that she wrote these letters. And I'm thinking back to high school. Right. And it's not just Peter after she leaves Peter and runs away. uh, Lucas, another one of the guys she wrote the letters to confronts her in the bathroom and and tells her, you know, that that was sweet of her, but he's, he's gay. And which they kind of start their friendship, which is neat. And I gotta get I, I gotta give the writer credit. Uh, this could have been a very stereotypical gay character, and other than the drop in lines of him being gay, you never know. So, uh, no. And honestly, I think that as a character, he kind of did. Like, I don't even know if he's a secondary character, just because he's not he's not involved that much. But he kind of does more to. Um, help Laura Jean than some of like Chris for example um yeah you know I kind of felt like Lucas had a little more dimension to him but the fact that not one of the guys that Laura Jean wrote these letters to tells anybody at school hey this girl just wrote me a love letter yeah I feel like that that would have been all over school if this was real oh absolutely and uh, what you were going back to what you were saying about Lucas doing more for Laura Jean than Chris, you could have easily combined those two characters and made one character. I mean, she didn't have to write the letter to him, but you know, you know to that character. But all the helpful stuff could have been added to Chris, or some of the quirkiness could have been added to Lucas, and you know, trimmed down on all these characters. And he's the only—he's the only character that I can see not telling everybody about the letter just because him and him and Laura Jean seem to develop like a real friendship. Whereas mm. Peter to me is the most unbelievable one that he didn't. Now 
as we're going to get to, Peter gets something out of not telling everybody that she wrote him this letter, but I still feel like that's kind of unrealistic. Um, Well, and, but let's also look at who, who she wrote letters to Peter. Who's the popular one who gets something out of this Lucas, who is trying to hide the fact that he's gay until he gets out of high school. Um, so he has a reason to keep things quiet. Then someone from Model UN who we don't see through, uh, we see him in a, a, a quick shot when he's younger and then at the very, very end of the movie. So that character doesn't even matter. And then someone from camp. And of course, Josh isn't going to say anything because he's like, hey, we have things to talk about you and me. And he's not going to make that public. So I, I can buy the conceit that it doesn't spread around based on the characters that she wrote to. I mean, I guess that's fair. And to be honest, uh, I get the impression that Josh has no friends to uh, tell anyway. Yeah. He he could go, he could try to start spreading it around and be like, Laura Jean wrote me a love letter. Cool. Who are you? And who is Laura Jean? (laughs) But you know, the fact that it doesn't happen, obviously it's one of those things had it happened. It would have been a very different movie. So, uh, after Laura, or after Laura Jean has her conversation with uh, Lucas, she does absolutely, speaking of Josh, she does absolutely everything she can to avoid Josh. Which, which is hard, because it's her neighbor. Yeah, he lives next door, so it makes it kind of difficult. So she has to climb out of her window just to go to the uh, corner diner, where she runs Peter, who obviously, after their uh, little makeout session in the middle of the track... Uh, would like an explanation. And so he finds her at the corner diner and confronts her. So yeah. she decides to share with Peter exactly what happened. I I like the chemistry between those two characters because even when he's picking on her or trying to be funny, you know, they play off each other pretty well. Because let's face it, Laura Jean is kind of vanilla. Does have... yeah, she really is. But I... I do think it fits her character. Um, I, well, obviously this comes from books, so they they found the actress. Like it wasn't written for her specifically, but I, and I haven't read the books yet, so I don't know. Uh, but he, they had a lot of good chemistry. Yeah, and I, and I'd be curious to see if some of this is more fleshed out in the books. I mean, I'm certainly not going to read them, uh, but I mean, you can do that and report back. I'll give you that assignment. Are you sure? I think you'd really enjoy it, John. Honestly, it has more to do with the fact that it's fiction, and nonfiction is just so much more easy for me to read these days, because if I had just picked this book up and put it down for a while, as I am prone to do with a, with a book, I'm going to struggle remember who these secondary characters are. But if I, I start reading a book about, like, I'm looking at my shelf right now, Saturday Night Live, I'm going to remember who John Lovitz is. It, it, it just has, fair. yeah. I, I I got into that a that age where the reason I'm not reading Dune, uh, even though I want to, is because I know there's about sixty to a hundred characters in there. I got to keep track of, and my brain's just like, no, nope, not gonna do that. Well, and I I do so I do think uh, Peter is worth talking about because he's kind of the Netflix darling right now. Um, He's been in, he's been in several movies that Netflix has done. Uh, yeah, he's been in a whole lot of things that he's 
that mean absolutely nothing to me. But he is slated to play He-Man in a new Masters of the Universe film. So I'm kind of interested in that. I mean, I don't know how he's going to top Dolph Lundgren, what with his complete mastering of the English language and all. Because there's a reason he he didn't speak a lot in Rocky IV, because he didn't speak anything but Swedish at that point. Yeah, I it'll be interesting to see him in something not a Netflix movie. Um, but he's he is he's kind of their go-to person right now for these teen rom-coms and I I get why. I mean, he fits he fits the part really well and and he has a very kind of specific charm that I think suits the roles that he plays. And he's one of those actors that I kind of like because regardless of you made the point she's kind of vanilla. Regardless of who he's working with, he sort of drags the chemistry out of them. I, I guess it, this is the only thing I've seen him in. Um, could have been the second thing I saw him in had I gone to actually see the Charlie's Angels reboot, which I hear is actually pretty good. We may have to do that. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know this guy, but just based on this and what he was what he was given to do and what he did with that, I'm like, okay, I, I see the appeal of this guy. So does the waitress in the diner. Yeah. I don't know if you caught that, but that was a very awkward exchange between him and the waitress, who's yeah. probably somewhere in her 60s. Maybe in the book she has like some wise words of wisdom. She's the flow uh, from Alice. But, That's a reference uh, that is older than me, so I'm pretty sure that doesn't mean nothing to you. <laughs> this yeah. is kind of a moment in the movie where, I mean, honestly, I saw it coming before this point, just because I'm really familiar with these tropes, but where you definitely recognize what's happening. Like, yeah. the movie isn't hiding its predictability at all. So um, she's had enough interactions with Peter by this point that you know where the movie's headed. Um, yeah, leading up to maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie, the contract. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, Peter takes this this time with Laura Jean, where she tells him everything, and he offers to give her a ride home from the diner. And this is when he comes up with the genius idea that they can both get something out of this misunderstanding. And he proposes that they pretend to date in front of the whole school so that he can make Jin jealous and she can convince Josh that she's not into him. Which kind of makes no sense because Josh still has the letter. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't exactly understand what she thinks she's proving. Well, and also the big question that is, never, that is asked by the movie but never addressed, when did you two start talking yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, of course it never addresses it because uh, she never talks to Josh. I mean, she spends all this time avoiding him, and he's the one that would really ask the question. Well, even Chris Well, I mean, asked, and he asked it to Peter, yeah. Yeah, I mean, several people do ask, like, How, when did this happen? And it's just like, oh, you know, and just never address. It, it's high school. We, we, we ran into each other in the halls or something. I, I feel like even my high school in the olden days would have been would have asked a, a follow up question or two like you just kind of trailed off there. Excuse me, you didn't answer me. You just trailed off. Yeah, yeah, I did kind of trail off there, didn't I? Yeah, I mean it doesn't kind of make sense because you 
you get the impression that they didn't in their first interaction that they didn't have anything against each other. Um, like I, he didn't seem like the type that was picking on her or anything the way that Jin was, but they weren't friends. And so it does come out of left field kind of, and nobody seems all that concerned with, I mean, they ask the question, but they don't, they don't seem concerned with the fact that they don't get an answer. Yeah. Which that's the part that doesn't sit well, well with me. It's just like, you know, I, I did throw out when we were watching this is like, is this possibly Fight Club? And that movie does get referenced. It's just like, it's do the, these two guys really even exist? Is this all in her head? But also, that is a good way to kind of get some exposition out to talk to a character that's not in the room so she's not monologuing to herself. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it was well done. Like, yeah. uh, I I think it was well executed, and it brings her to, it's a good way to get her to the point of deciding that she does want to accept Peter's proposal, which she does the next day um, by uh, talking to him on the lacrosse field, at which time he decides to kiss her in front of the whole school to just make sure everybody knows. And this time, apparently, they noticed. They missed it on the track for some reason, but yeah, they caught it this time. Well, you know, there were people running, you know. And uh, which leads to what you said was one of your favorite scenes where uh, Peter and Laura Jean decide that they have to discuss the rules of their now fake relationship, which includes no kissing. Um, Peter writing Laura Jean's notes every day, watching 16 Candles and Fight Club. Well, and he he calls out the no kissing thing. It's like, do you really think people are going to believe that we're not in a relationship? I mean, that we're in a relationship if, you know, not even, you know, they're, they're not doing that. Yeah, not in high school, at least not now. You know, and I mean, there's no, I like how this movie references its influences. Like, you can see the movie is influenced by 80s movies and 16 Candles, kind of similar to the way that EZA did the <clears throat> same thing. I kind of like the way that uh, EZA did does it better because that's done with a wink and a smile this is kind of the hey guys remember 16 candles that's what we're doing yeah i would i would agree with that but the well and you know i i loved our friend's comparison to 50 shades of gray with the contract but this is kind of a different contract fortunately yeah well this is rated pg-13 and that (laughs) was not Yeah, this contract only includes um, the other the other things added to the contract were Laura Jean having to go to parties and Peter's lacrosse games, uh, Peter driving Laura Jean and Kitty to school every day, and Laura Jean going on the annual school ski trip. They both Which they made a big agree, deal about. And, yes, I believe it's the place where uh, more students lose their virginity than prom and uh, homecoming week combined. Yeah. And like a lot of those losses of virginity, it was over and done with very, very quickly. Because I I remember when we were watching it, I was like, wait, are they already back from the trip? Yeah, it was was one of those, like, very weird time loops. I had the same feeling where it was like, did they just drive all the way up to the mountains and spend the night and that's it? You know, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because that's kind of the impression I got is that they were just there for one night, um, even though they talked about being there for the weekend. Also, and this may be uh, 
Netflix, you know, Netflix only giving them so much money, but it's a, it's a, got a ski trip and no one goes skiing. Give me a skiing montage. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to try ripping off, you know, plot tropes from the 80s, give me a skiing montage. It doesn't get more 80s than that. <laughs> this movie had plenty of montages. In fact, right after they both sign and agree to the contract, they, uh, have a montage of the beginning of their relationship which included Peter putting his hand in her back pocket um, as a reference to 16 Candles. Yeah. I'm um, just going to die on the hill that you can never have enough montage it makes the movie better. I mean, that's why Rocky 4 is the greatest Rocky movie is because it's like 60% montage. Well, I mean, you can't, it's pretty much a rule that you can't have a romantic comedy without there being at least one montage. Yeah, I know. But but I really do think they should have, you know, given us one ski of someone skiing, maybe, you know, wacky accident on the slope, something. This is a weird hill I'm dying on, but. <laughs> it, but you know what? It's an important one. Is it that <laughs> we once again have that unanswered question where <laughs> where Chris asked Laura Jean, you know, when they, you know, when she came interested in Peter, and Laura Jean just avoids everything in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she has zero ability to have an adult conversation, essentially, with anybody but Peter. Yeah, well, uh, and Lucas she continues to, to avoid Josh, and um, well, yeah, and, and Lucas to an extent. Yeah, she's avoiding everyone. She's avoiding her sister. Yeah, she right after she avoids Josh, she goes and has a Skype conversation with Margot, and I think it's a Skype conversation that lasted all of two minutes, uh, because she can't, she can't, can't face lying to her sister, and that's kind of parents. She just fakes an argument about baking cupcakes and uh, for Kitty's bake sale, and yeah. gets off the Skype call, leaving Margot very confused. Yeah. Um, which well, is when she gets interrupted by Peter about going to the party. You know, I'm surprised Margot didn't like talk to her dad and just be like, why is she avoiding me? What's going on? Like, no one asks any follow up questions in this movie. Like, what are you doing? And, and I mean, and I know it's a movie because the parents in EZA were very hands off, but they were reminding her, like, we don't necessarily know what's going on, but we're here for you if you need me. It, yeah, I mean, this movie, it kind of does a disservice to her dad just a little bit by making him look kind of clueless until well, towards the very end of the movie. Well, and, and not to sound, you know, slightly misogynist, but he's a man, he's a father in a movie, and his function is there to make wacky one-liners occasionally and be gone because of work. And it's a trope I hate, but, I mean, it's a trope because he's gone a lot because he's a doctor. Yeah, and the fact, honestly, like, it, it's less shocking to me that Margot didn't reach out to her dad than it is that she didn't reach out to Kitty to find out what was going on with Laura Jean. Well, well she's probably not going to – well, I can see her not wanting to ask Kitty because um, Kitty's 11 and, you know – Probably, you know, if if Lara Jean's gonna hide from Margot, why wouldn't? But well, my point is, 
Kitty may not, you know, Margot may assume Kitty doesn't know because if she's also not talking to Margot, why would she be talking to Kitty? And also, I can yeah. see why Margot, yeah, and I can fair. see why Margot isn't reaching out to her dad because, you know, we haven't mentioned it, but her dad's a widower. Her, their mom passed away, and I don't recall how long it has been since the mom passed, but no one in that family is dealing with it very well. No, and I feel kind of in some ways, especially like it's weird. I feel like the dad is the first phrase, but he's kind of, he appears to be clueless as to what's going on. Uh, I mean, and they throw it out there when and when Peter shows up to take Laura Jean to the party and her dad says, you know, no hands, no drugs, no alcohol. And Peter says, of course not. The parents are going to be there. Well, I don't know any parent that actually buys that line. Yeah. But at the same time, Laura Jean is a good kid. So he has no reason. And also, Peter, you know, Peter is kind of a jock character, but he's also a liked, respected, you know, person. So... I, you know, I grew up in town, you know, in town where that person has good parents and they're not going to assume anything this kid's doing is bad. So he's also trusting of his daughter. Yeah. And, you know, he seems a little, I guess, given the way Laura Jean is, he's probably desperate for her to have a little bit of. Yeah. I mean, did you did you ever see the movie The Sandlot? I did. Okay, well, at the beginning of that movie, uh, the main character's mom says, I don't want you sitting in your room all summer reading books. Go out, make friends, get into a little bit of trouble. So it's, you know, yeah, that's definitely what that kid's, what Laura Jean's dad is doing. Is she, He's like, hey, you're going out and having fun? Great. I, yeah, he trusts her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened is what's happening. But unfortunately, that I feel like that party ends up causing more problems than it solves. Yeah. Because um, while they're at the party, um, Peter convinces Laura Jean to take her hair down, and she hands him her favorite scrunchie. And when he runs into Jane in the bathroom, uh, she steals it from him, which, uh, you know, at first goes unnoticed by Laura Jean. So it's. Not a problem initially, but it's kind of what ends up messing things up, which, I mean, it kind of seems small, but in conjunction with everything else that happens. Uh, yeah. But it simultaneously, I think um, it leads into one of my favorite, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, which is um, after Peter runs into Jen in the bathroom, him and Laura Jean uh, go to get some food at the diner. And start talking about how her mom has passed away and his dad left his mom and went and started a new family. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time I remember actually them saying out loud what happened to Laura Jean's mom. What I like about this scene is it was a little bit nostalgic for me. Um, I, w- I was going to ask, have you ever watched, have you ever watched a movie? There's like a, a section of dialogue, and you sort of feel like they ripped it straight from your head. I mean, I want to say that's the entire movie of High Fidelity for you, but well, I mean, not the entire movie, um, uh, with the exception of maybe Dick, 
none of the male characters in that movie are 100 percent good people so um <laughs> and also i would i would sell someone a copy of uh stevie wonders i just called to say i love you i mean i'm gonna judge but i'll still sell it but i mean but i do get what you're going for there because yeah they're i mean writers bring their life to um the things that they put out there and hope that it connects with someone and you're naturally going to have moments that you know you see in a in a film or a show or here in a song and you're like that's me i get that so it's like every white male mate my age that uh heard the blue album from weezer whenever they were in junior high or high school was just like yeah that's me that's me right there (laughs) yeah and i that was this scene for that was this scene for me when i was her age essentially like it's very nostalgic because it hadn't occurred to me i guess i'd had the thought but none had put it into words the way that she did and when she has the conversation with uh peter about why she doesn't have a boyfriend and why she's and i just thought it was so well written and it was something i guess my 16 year old self would have really connected with and I think what she's kind of trying to get at, and I think the character is, uh, she she puts it very eloquently. I always kind of put it is, it's easier to, you know, what she does with all of these guys, the way she writes the letters, it's easier to want somebody, and not everyone's going to relate to this, only, only some people do, but it's easier to want somebody you can't have because then you get that awesome feeling of liking from that stuff that comes from the, the first, kind of those just, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but the butterflies you get, the good parts of having feelings for somebody without any of the rejection because you're not actually putting yourself out there. But I think the movie does a good side of showing the opposite part of that, which is it's only good for a very short period of time. Like it's, it's not substantial. And also, it's incredibly eloquent because it's in the hands of a, you know, older screenwriter and not an actual sixteen-year-old girl. So, very true. Yeah. But what else I love about this? What else I love about the scene is it's the first time I feel like you really get to see their relationship start to move forward. You get to see that they actually kind of are starting to have feelings for each other, and uh, that kind of even grows when she goes to his. Uh, his house for dinner with his mom and his uh, little brother. And they talk more about her mom and his dad. And she kind of tells him stuff that she hasn't told anybody else. So you mm. you finally kind of get to see her character opening up. That was another good scene where... And, and, and it's those moments where you see the facade sl- starting to crack on both sides. Yeah. Okay. But that being said, she's... St- yeah. But that being said, she still won't open up to Josh, who um, she has an argument with on her front porch. Because, which, you know, I mean, Josh is, of all the characters, I feel like he's the most unfairly treated in the movie. Because it's not his fault at all that Laura Jean wrote him that letter. No. And I I even understand him getting pissed because he's trying to talk to her and she just keeps rejecting him. 
Like, I do feel like she does owe him a conversation that, you know, she should have had by now. Yeah, she owes him a conversation that, honestly, she's just not mature enough to have. No. And, and I, you know, I get the nerves and the embarrassment of what she's going through, but he just got broken up with, and now he's losing one of his best friends, and she won't even have a conversation with him about why, which and, is kind of when everything starts to fall apart. Yeah. But before we get into that, I kind of question, do you think that Josh has any romantic feelings for Largene, or is it? do you think he just sees her as a friend? Um, I think that the movie does a terrible job of answering that question. The movie um, does a terrible job of a lot of things. <laughs> I, I think it does a terrible job of answering that question, but on the other hand, Sometimes movies will do that just because, and they're just going to let you determine what you think. I think that, honestly, he doesn't have the opportunity to figure out whether or not he does. Mm Because he's so busy just trying to have a conversation with her about it in the first place. Yeah. I Part of me wonders if he even does see her in that way. Uh, But I think he's mostly worried about... He's basically lost his best friend. Yeah. I on, Honestly, if anything, I think he has kind of protective older brother feelings towards Laura Jean. I think he cares about her a lot. Um, yeah. And, and I think the movie could have easily gone in that direction. And mm-hmm. I think that he could have ended up having feelings for her. And also, that would have put a, another romantic triangle in this film that it didn't need. Because you already have the Laura Jean and Peter and, what's her name, ex-girlfriend. If ever there was and, a movie that didn't need one uh, more thing, it's this no, movie. I, I agree. I think that the movie was not able to do the things that did very well because it took on too many things. Which is and a lot of those things kind suffered of what a, made the, the Yeah, it, it is. It, it took on too many things, so the things that did suffered. Because uh, the kind of catalyst or the conclusion when things started to go wrong with this movie felt very rushed you know yeah. her and peter started to just have a little bit of strain and then that gets rockier when uh laura jean and chris are sitting under the bleachers and she overhears peter talking with jen about how they can't keep doing this and they talk about going on the ski trip together and then she goes and talks to josh about it well there wasn't there wasn't any resolution between her and Josh. It was they got in this big argument, and then all of a sudden she's going to him. So it wasn't like they had any, I, I don't know. I just felt that some of the things they did were rushed because they were trying to flesh out too many relationships at one time. Yeah. Also, that scene of the bleachers is the closest Chris ever comes to questioning anything, and she doesn't do it. She's like, it's like she's talking about your man, bro. Yeah, go with that. Follow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I feel like that that moment should have been. Yeah. Maybe that's just me, uh, but she does. I mean, she looks unaffected, Chris, but she's definitely affected because um, she mm-hmm. has her the conversation with uh, Peter where he's obviously angry. And and that's the nice contrast because while she never says what she thinks, Peter always says what he thinks. 
Yeah. Like, he doesn't... I don't think there's any failure to communicate on Peter's side of things. Um, but he does manage to convince her to go on a ski trip uh, as long as Chris goes. Yeah. Uh, which somehow she manages uh, Chris to convince Chris to go, um, even after Chris has been out at an EDM concert all night, uh, apparently. <laughs> and that was apparently an improv. Uh... Was it? Yeah. Weird improv, but yeah, okay. <laughs> I just, I feel like they needed, they needed something as an excuse for Laura Jean not to sit with Peter on the bus, which is a very, it's a very high school kind of immature, passive aggressive way for her to let her, let her to let him know that she's not happy with him. Yeah. Which, tell me what you think. I don't. I feel like she spends a lot of time being angry at Peter over a fake, supposedly fake relationship. Yeah. And uh, and I can tell you exactly why, because she has feelings and she's not doing a damn thing about them. Even though, you know, they could probably very easily have transitioned from fake relationship to real relationship and no one would have batted an eye. Because, you know, no one seems to care about the how, when, and why. It, it, yeah, that could have happened. And, 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 uh, it saved himself a lot of trouble had he just been honest also. Because as good as he was about communicating, it seemed obvious that he liked Laura Jean yeah. earlier than he said anything. And he could have solved a lot of issues if he hadn't been so hung up on Jen. Yeah, and also I can see him not wanting to say anything yet because out of fear of it being a rebound relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, th- that does make sense, and he does seem to be taking his time. Um, but despite the fact that she hasn't made a move the entire movie, it did catch me a little off guard that she not I shouldn't say caught me off guard, but I thought it was nice that she was the one that ended up making the first move because after they get to the after they get to the ski resort and stay there for apparently only one night, and never she's hanging it. out and <laughs> well, I mean, I think other people went and skied. They just didn't show it. Yeah, I just want to see one guy wipe out on the bunny slope. That's all I need. <laughs> no, but instead she she uh, hangs out with Lucas and does face masks in her room, which, once again, I think you're right. I really think that Lucas and Chris could have been combined into one character. Yeah, because Chris wasn't even in the room. No, no. She hung out with Lucas the whole time, which he was the one to point out. That uh, Peter obviously had feelings for her, uh, yeah. which led her to go down to the hot tub where Peter was waiting, which we'll discuss this in the sequel because you're not going to understand till the sequel. It's It raised a question for me when he was down there. I thought it was weird watching the first movie like in a vacuum by itself, not knowing what I know. Um, why was he there? Like, yeah, why he was, was he the only in a hot tub by himself? Yeah. That never happens. Yeah, why was he the only one there? I've been to a journalism conference um, 
in Austin where uh, on that trip our hotel room caught fire. Um, and there was a there was oh, a hot tub. And there was a hot tub and there was about 30 people in it. <laughs> what it was is the air conditioning yeah. and it just sparked. Uh, it was a fun trip, though. So initially, I kind of thought, I mean, it makes a good story, at least. Yeah, didn't have the best climax. It's just like, they replaced the air <laughs> conditioner, and we got a free breakfast. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't make any, it did not make any sense to me either. And I initially just thought, oh, well, it must have just been a way for the writers to get them... To get them alone so Laura Jean and, and Peter finally have a conversation and she finally makes her move. Yeah. Um, and so you don't know something went wrong until the next morning when she gets on the bus and everybody starts clapping, which is another unanswered question. I mean, she just asks him, why is everybody clapping? And he says, oh, you know, that's just... It is what it is. That's just how they are with couples on that trip. And I feel like that deserved a follow-up question. I, I, I kind of no. I kind of went with that because they dropped the line that it was all that P- more Virginians are lost on the ski trip than any other time in that for that high school. And so I can see that bus just assuming that that's what they did. Yeah, and being teenagers, they were dicks about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she does kind of brush it off. It seems like she'd have been more upset, but she brushes it off until they get home, where Jen takes the opportunity to uh, tell Laura Jean that Peter spent the night in her room, and Laura Jean sees the scrunchie on her wrist, and instead of asking Peter what happened, she just breaks up their fake relationship mm-hmm. which at this point they haven't established was ever a real relationship yeah and and I get not knowing the 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 details of that night because probably the author of the book didn't know what had happened you know had to figure that out for the sequel they yes, pulled a Halloween I will say, you get much <laughs> You get mu- you get a lot more detail about what happened uh, on the ski trip in, in the sequel for sure. Uh, Do we get any skiing in the sequel? <laughs> you don't. This is bullshit. <laughs> so instead, you're just kind of left with that, and Lord Jesus home and it's Christmas time uh, to find. And uh, this is kind of where everything officially breaks down because Peter shows up and tries to explain, but Josh interrupts in which Peter takes the opportunity to compare him to a Bonavere wannabe. Uh, and Margo overhears that Laura Jean has feelings for Josh. And, and this is a... Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, Laura Jean just... I mean, at least she's consistent completely refuses to hear Peter out. Yeah. Which, I mean, it kind of tracks with who she is. I think she's very self-conscious, and I I don't think that she believes that Peter could like her. Yeah, oh, definitely, because, you know, she 
she was on like nobody's radar before that. I mean, that's that was a given. Yeah. And that um, does at least, well, and I will say, I do feel like the question about the clapping actually does get answered. Just not initially, because as soon as Laura Jean goes inside after Peter goes home, she finds out that their moment in the hot tub was filmed. And that kind of um, oddly brings her and Margot back together. Uh, yeah. Which what to do and finds out that Kitty sent the letters yeah <laughs> to which uh, I read that in the book she sent the letters because she was mad at her sister and in the movie they changed it to where she was just didn't want her sister to be lonely yeah which I kind of like that better and you know in the movie they don't really you know and you get the impression you know without knowing that Kitty sent the letters but they don't actually say it until at the end of the movie yeah so I thought that was kind of neat and her mm-hmm. it would be it would be interesting to see how the book did it uh, but I like that they made it you know, sweeter because it made more sense that Laura Jean forgave her so forgave her so quickly. Yeah. Well, her older sister you know, has the trump card of "You were in love with my boyfriend. You cannot murder our little sister." <laughs> <laughs> so, is it at this point yeah, where she um, has the? She really... Do what? Hello. Do what? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. I said Margo Margo also gets over that very quickly. Yeah. Well, and also, I think Margo understands she's more in love with Peter than she is with Josh, so. Uh, yeah, uh, if, you know, the sex tape, as she puts it, where she didn't even lose her virginity, um, yeah. It doesn't make that clear. And I think her sister feels for her and she understands. Um, but the kids at school do not. Um, because oh, no. Lauren Jean goes back to school to see her. <laughs> she sees her locker vandalized, which gives Peter an opportunity to be sweet and stick up for her. Um, and then uh, gives kind of the segue for her to have a conversation with Josh where that's, that conversation with Josh is really where I got the impression that you know, he had these kind of older brother feelings towards her, and he hadn't really given a whole lot of thought, I don't think, to how he felt about her. He just wanted to have the conversation. Yeah. So, have we passed the scene where she finally has a conversation with her dad? Um, yes. So, uh, um, yes. Right after she nearly murders her sister, she decides to clean her room, which... Um, obviously means it's time for dad to have a conversation with her because as Kitty puts it, it's serious. Yeah. Which features my favorite cameo of the film <laughs> and, where, and where they obviously spent the most money getting tears for fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> you mean the most money wasn't spent on the writing? I, I'm just saying 
there's a reason they use Netflix TV actors and TV TV actors instead of people that we, you know, people like me knew because they probably spent the most money getting those song rights, which is probably, which is that song is probably my least favorite song on what is my favorite Tears for Fears album. So that's song. why they didn't have any skiing in the movie. Yeah. Damn you, Tears for Fears. <laughs> uh, also, you couldn't have but... sprung for Head Over Heels. <laughs> Just saying. At least it wasn't Shout. Okay, Shout is my least favorite Tears for Fears song on that album. That would have been too much. That would have gone too that, far. That would have been. But like every romantic comedy ever, she had to have the important conversation with her dad. Mm. And then with Josh... To finally realize, um, you know, how she feels about Peter and how Peter feels about her, which she gets after Kitty gives her the uh, letters Peter had been writing Laura Jean, but Laura Jean had been throwing away. Mm. And so, and I, I love this part where Laura Jean drives to school, and before she even says it, you called out the fact that obviously she's going to make a big deal out of the fact that she drove there. And she did. <laughs> It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I drove here by myself. Nine kills. That obviously means I love you. Yeah. Uh, what was the quote from Love Story? Uh, love means never having to say you're sorry. It also means I drove here across town. <laughs> but then they have to have the big... Um, you know, final moment where she tells him how she, you know, how she feels. And um, I really, you know, a lot of times I'll judge these movies by how well they do this moment because a lot of them will almost ruin the movie because it'll be so cheesy. And mm -hmm. one thing I think this movie did well is I think they did their ending scene well. Yeah. I mean, I, just like, yeah, I liked the dialogue they used. I thought it was cute. Um, and so they are officially together. Now, the one thing I did think was kind of, uh, cheesy is when she asked, so what are the rules for actually being in a relationship? That's a cute line. And, and the other movie began in the field. But then again, it's something Laura Jean would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So let's see the movie. So, John, um, what didn't you like about the movie? <sighs> um, honestly, I think the big thing I would ding this movie for, and it's not the cliches and the callbacks, and a lot of it is the writing. And I know that I don't know if Netflix necessarily has a strict rule about runtime because, God, I mean, Scorsese's The Irishman, which is a Netflix movie, was three and a half hours long, but. So much of the writing just, I felt like could have been fleshed out, given more characters something to do, combining characters. Just, the, I at least give the script one more pass. Yeah, and I, I'm not, not knocking the screenwriter because she's, I mean, this is her first screenplay, but she's written play, play, uh, things for the stage. So she knows how to write. It's just, I wish she had, you know, Maybe done another draft. That's that's really the main thing. 
what didn't you what yeah. didn't you like about this movie? <laughs> I, I kind of agree, but so some of the acting just in general, I, I thought some of it was good. Uh, I thought some of it was and mostly the secondary characters is what I had an issue with and other secondary characters. And um I didn't necessarily like how they handled some of the stereotypical romantic comedy tropes. And I guess the biggest issue I had with the movie is, although I really liked it, it was so low stakes. Like, the conflicts were so minuscule. And I guess I guess it can kind of get away with that because it's a high school movie, but still. Yeah. So what did you like about it? Tears for Fears, the 11-year-old girl, and John Corbett. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> well, apart from the movie in general, I liked Kitty also. Um, I liked that the movie didn't take itself too seriously. I mean, I liked the fact that it, it knew what it was. It had a formula. It stuck to it. And that's just a personal thing. I like the formula because it's reliable. Yeah. Like, I, I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to end. Um, and so it's like when I'm having a bad day, it's nice. It's like eating a bowl of ice cream. So anyway, so here's the big ultimate question that I don't know the answer to yet. And I'm excited to find out. John, did you survive this movie? So I have had the. So we watched this movie on Friday. And. I watched it again on Sunday, and we're recording on Tuesday. I have thought about that question since Friday. Because if you would have asked me before the conversation, my answer was, I don't know. I didn't know. And even after watching it the second time, I still was not sure. And I didn't watch it the second time because I was just in love with it. I watched it twice just so I had enough of a grasp of the movie to have the conversation. So in order to answer this question, I got to explain why critics give negative reviews, because I'm going to analyze, be the film critic for the second. A lot of times movies that audiences love get negative reviews just because people don't realize that critics see thousands of, you know, hundreds, if not over a thousand to 2000 films a year. And when they see the same old thing, they get burned out on and they kind of lash out that way. You know, so things like predictability and formulaic for as a horror fan, I appreciate sometimes formulaic and routine just because like Friday the 13th part four, I know what I'm going to get when I put it on and I know why I'm putting that movie on this for you is very much like Friday the 13th in that regards for you. As a film critic, you know, someone that has written reviews, I didn't survive this film. I would have given it a one, maybe somewhere between a one and a half and a two star rating. Because this movie did have its moments. As someone that watches, you know, mov- movies for the sake of watching a movie, eh, it's fine. Uh, would I watch it again on my own? No. I. I I only watched this twice for the show. I never would have watched this movie before you put it on the schedule. And while it didn't offend me, I'm going to err on the side of, 
I didn't survive it, but only barely. If that makes sense. It does make sense. That's very interesting. So to bring it up again, for those of you playing the drinking game, you're right. It actually does fall into that sleepaway category, sleepaway yeah. camp category, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I had fun watching it with you because in this in our friends because I like watching movies with my friends. Whenever I watched it alone, I played on. Believe it or not, I played on my phone a lot more than I did whenever we were watching it together. Um, but I mean, it's barely passable for me. But I get why it has an attraction to some people. It's just not my. It didn't do it for me, so that's why I'm going to err on the side of barely didn't survive. All right. What about you? Did you survive? (laughs) Yes, I survived this movie. It is on my, I will just sit down and watch it sometimes when I feel like it. Yeah. List for sure. And I get that. And like I said, you know, keeping up with the Sleepaway Camp Friday the 13th comparison I, this is, I can see why this is a good movie for someone that is totally into this genre. For something just to throw on that it, it's not going to challenge you. You don't really have to think about it. You can just let it play and get the enjoyment for the reasons that you like that particular kind of style of film. Like for me, it's Dead Teenagers. And for you, it's the, the cheese and the, and the charm of this movie. Exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah. <laughs> I... Wonder well, you've seen the movie we're gonna watch for next week already, but I wonder well, if there's reasons you might like this movie better. Well, interesting. Well, why don't we go ahead and tell them what we're watching next week? Okay, so we next week are gonna be watching Catch and Release. Okay. Uh I'll go ahead and answer the question. When did you first see this? Um and and we'll get into it again next week, but when I first saw Catch and Release, it was in theaters. It was with my mom. We both kind of wanted to see it. I wanted to go see it for Kevin Smith, and I think she just wanted to go see it for, you know, just to see a movie. I fell asleep during one half of this movie, and she fell asleep in the other half. And so I'm kind of excited to see this movie for the first time in its entirety. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, so next week, catch and release. Um, and Sammy, did you have anything you wanted to shout out? Uh, no, not this week. Not this week. All right. Well, I got a shout out. Um, we, and I actually uh, have a local shout out, and we actually ran into one of the hosts of the Beards and Flicks podcast, which is available on, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and apparently YouTube. Um, but it's a local movie review podcast hosted by Brad and Mike. And Brad is a member of one of our local, uh, well, our local uh, improv comedy troupe, Card 53. And uh, he and Mike are doing a movie review podcast. And he dropped that he was doing it in the style of one of our favorite podcasts, Sammy, uh, The Rewatchables. And as I was listening nice. today, that's all I heard. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is totally just The Rewatchables. It's just you know, Simmons isn't on this episode, <laughs> but, but it is, uh, but, uh, both Brad and Mike have, um, film and, uh, cre- content creation backgrounds and, uh, they're just huge movie buffs. And 
it's a fun conversation. It's funny and uh, definitely, you know, definitely worth your time. Uh, I would like to guest on this show, Brad, at some time. Uh, and I have suggestions uh, for what I'd like to talk about, but it's another good movie review show that you should definitely check out. And you should check it out too, Sammy. Awesome. I will definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, Sammy, thank you again for, I guess, yeah, yeah we, we got through this without an argument. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens next week because uh, I know arguments happen because of next week's movie, but not between us. But friendships, that movie caused friendships to die. <laughs> so we'll get into that next week. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Follow us on the social media. Uh, and um, if there's a movie you want us to cover, uh, reach out at survivingchickflicks at gmail.com. We definitely will welcome your recommendations. Till next week. Bye. Bye.